Welcome to A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends. We share good news and godly wisdom to empower you to be salt and light in every season of life. Love Jesus, love people. That's not always easy when people disagree with or oppose us. So we must ask God to give us eyes to see them as He sees them, as treasures. Listen in as Bunny Pounds shares her leadership journey with Doug. Hear them discuss how we as Christians influence people and situations when we are moved with compassion like Jesus. The Bible has a lot to say about the issues we face today, and you will be equipped to leave your comfort zone and engage your faith to impact our culture. After the episode, check out our show notes on your favorite streaming platform and visit awardandseasonpodcast.org to download a free 30-day devotional. If you have gleaned anything from this podcast, consider paying it forward with a gift at somebodycares.org. Now let's join our host, Doug Stringer. What was your journey? How did you get a revelation of the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection? Well, Doug, it's awesome to be with you guys. Uh, love everybody. What a great day it is. So I grew up a pastor's kid. My dad was a Seventh-day Adventist minister for 20 years, but I really had a born-again experience at a Carmen concert at Dallas Convention Center in the late 80s and really fell in love with Jesus dramatically. It was really the first time in my life growing up in the Adventist church and in Adventist schools um, where I really saw the body of Christ come together. Really, I was 13 years old and, and just really saw my need for the Lord. And then really became a kind of a radical in high school, um, led a lot of people to Jesus, had one, a Bible club that we did in our high school and got involved in Christian theater here in Dallas, Fort Worth. And uh, then went to Christ for the Nations. Mark Job was my youth pastor, if you know, Carrie Job. So really had a lot of great mentors in my life, which I'm forever thankful. Worked at James Robinson Ministries when I was 18, 19 and 20, running his prayer counseling part of the Ministry for Life Outreach. And I'm just so thankful for my heritage. I'm thankful for my father who pursued Jesus and always taught me about the, the work of the cross and the finished work of the cross and the power of the Holy Spirit. Just very thankful. That's amazing, Bunny, because you have such a long bio and credentials of all the things that the Lord has allowed you to be involved in the marketplace, business world, political world. What's amazing is how you've never lost the place of your being tethered to the Lord, and that being your first priority. You know, I'm reminded of the scripture, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. And really, you've really kept that focus. Everything is really about your relationship with the Lord out of his presence. Then you're driven with this place that God has gifted you to help people become engaged in their faith in the marketplace and in the political arena. That's your passion is because of what God's done in your life. Let me just kind of go over a portion of her bio. She's the founder and president of Christians Engaged. It's a nonpartisan parachurch ministry connecting the body of Christ to simple civic engagement education and to awaken, motivate, educate, and empower believers in Jesus Christ and to pray for their nation and elected officials. How many know we need to be doing that regularly? And to vote in every election to impact their culture and to engage their hearts in some form of political education or activism. Let me just stop point for a moment there. I remember one time when the faith-based initiatives started, a former president started that, and I was invited to go to the White House annex and meet with faith leaders about the faith-based initiatives. And I didn't want to go. I always felt like, well, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm out here doing what I'm supposed to do. What am I going to be able to say and do in a gathering like that with all these experts on faith and experts on you know humanitarian work? And we're just a small organization and just with a lot of equity. A Washington insider said to me, Doug, if you don't go, then you abdicate your influence. Because if you don't go and, and it doesn't go the way you expect it to go, then don't complain. By being there, now we call that the ministry of presence by being there, you'll engage in opportunities and discussions and, and communication with people, meeting people to be able to have some element of influence, even if you think it's not huge. And then he told me something that I've written about since, that when God spoke to Moses in the wilderness about building the tabernacle, and if others were eavesdropping and listening to what God was saying to Moses and ran out and did exactly what the specifications of the blueprints for the tabernacle were, and they did it before Moses did it, is God obligated to honor the specification or the one that God gave it to. And so the point he was making is 
don't be worrying about everyone else. You do the God's called you to do. Make sure you engage and make sure that you participate so that you have a voice and your presence is heard. And I thought, well, that's powerful. And that's really a lot what we'll unpack in a little bit, a degree in theology there. And then you went on to Dallas Baptist University. And of course, Dr. Gary Cook, we were with him at the, uh, recently in Brady, Texas, the Praying in the Heart of Texas. You got a degree in a Bachelor of Arts and Sciences in Political Science. And I can go on and on, and we'll cover some of those other areas here, because you ended up getting involved as a political consultant, ended up being involved in having your own firm with many, many clients. You also worked with members of Congress and actually helped members of Congress as they were running for office and were elected. What took you from the place of going to Christ for the Nations? Obviously, you had this desire to get to know God and do something for God. And then from there, transferring over to Dallas Baptist University and then getting a degree in political sciences. And so what shifted you there from missions into a a different direction of missions? When I was 18 years old, God touched me with a scripture out of Philippians 1 that it's not only been accounted to you uh, that you believe on my name, but that you suffer for my sake. For me, as a young Bible school student at Christ for the Nations, I thought, and I'm working at James Robinson Ministries, and we were feeding kids in Rwanda, I thought that meant I was going to the 1040 window, and I was going to die a martyr, right? And I'm preparing for that. I mean, I I said yes to to Jesus, I guess, and said, I'm willing to go wherever you want me to go. I'm pursuing going with Youth with a Mission to Latin America, and all of a sudden, my best friend proposed marriage at an IHOP, you know, over coffee and pancakes one day. All of a sudden, I'm marrying a pest control guy, and I'm like running a pest control company, and I'm having little kids, and I'm like, God, what in the world? Why am I, in my mind, I'm stuck in America. I am stuck in America. And funding missions is not good enough for me. And and that was my attitude. And all of a sudden, um, I really started praying and saying, God, why do you have me in this location, in this generation in America right now? And I started listening to talk radio and really discovering there was a whole bunch of issues that I had paid attention to as a believer, but wasn't really engaged in. One of them was the pro-life movement. Started getting involved uh, politically, um, went to a state convention for a particular political party and testified in front of a platform committee and was just hooked that I could have a voice as a young mom. Came back, uh, went back to Dallas Baptist University to study the Constitution and American government. And, and then three and a half years later, graduated while homeschooling my kids. Um, I was very proud of that. 32-year-old graduate from college and landed a job with a U.S. congressman and was so honored to, to serve with Congressman Jeb Henserling. He served East Dallas County, East Texas for over um, 16 years. I was with him for 10 years of that. And then launched my own consulting firm and then ran for Congress myself. So for me, it was a crazy journey of getting engaged in what I considered a small way uh, in America. But really, I was called to disciple the nations. And my journey has been to take Matthew 28 and disciple elected officials to to speak into their life, to speak the call of God on their lives and and to pursue them forward to know God and to ask him for wisdom every day in their jobs. You've said quite a bit of our intersecting of relationships here. You early on said Mark Job, and I first met Mark in the 90s. And then, of course, when he was still with James Robinson, and, uh, and I was actually working with Lou Engel, helping him with his first seven calls, gatherings around the country. And then we hosted the one at the Cotton Bowl, the seventh of the first seven. Uh, It's amazing what you said that Mark was your youth pastor at church. He was, yes. And I had slumber parties at James and Betty Robinson's house. I was really close with their daughter, Robin. And it's crazy how things come back around. Now I'm a writer for the stream and just had a, a meeting with Bruce Jenkinson, his vice president the other day. So it's funny how God seems to like put you on a mountain and then bring you back around (laughs) to the people that you're supposed to walk with. Yeah. What a great point, Bunny, because I've always said that relationships define our destinies and the degree of influence we have or will leave for the future is determined on the level of those relationships, first with God, then with one another. And you look back, even knowing you these last few years, that all these relationships, including with James Robinson and, and so many others, is because somewhere you weren't trying to aspire to be close. You were just serving 
And there's, you know, biblical precedence of you, as you serve others, God will give you stewardship of your own. I've seen how you've served so many and God is now giving you favor beyond your own human capacity. I mean, obviously you're gifted, God's given you and your gifts have made way for you, but really it's because of your commitment to serve. And, and that's a, it's one thing I've been very impressed with is that I've watched you serve many, many people, even those who totally disagree with you and the way you still love and care for people who oppose you. And yet you continue to really exhibit the love of God, and even to those who may not be your friends, but you still care for them anyway. I know most people that are listening to this right now either have had woundings in church or ministry, or for me, it's ministry and politics. I like to say ministry prepared me for politics. Because we we're, we we kind of get blindsided by the people that we think are should be the closest to us or the ones that many times stab us in the back. And so, you know, I've had my own wounds in ministry, but you have to keep Jesus, number one, in the focus, right? You keep your eyes on him. He is really the true shepherd and realizing that we all see through a glass darkly. And, you know, going through a congressional race in 2018, I decided to run for my boss's seat because I couldn't find a conservative to run. And all of a sudden I'm through an eight person primary into a two person runoff. And I was the only woman in the entire state of Texas that made it to the runoff ballot uh, on the Republican side. And so, you know, it's it's tough having a million dollars spent against you and your family. And but I really th- thank God in that season that he had prepared me and he had given me all these experiences um, where I had to take my bitterness, offenses and unforgiveness and turn it around and say, God, I'm not going to live in this. I'm going to walk forward and I'm going to release these folks for me after the race. And I wrote a whole book about it called Enduring to the End, Overcoming Offenses, Bitterness and Unforgiveness. It was this process of staying in the place of prayer and saying, God, I'm praying over my opponent, who's now a member of Congress's Christmas card with his family, and and I'm praying blessings over them. And then um, he had some campaign debt from our race, and I was hanging out with my friend Rafael Cruz one day, and I said, Rafael, it was a year after the race, I said, I feel like God's telling me to host a fundraiser for him and help pay off his last $50,000 of debt on our race. And the moment I said it, tears start streaming down my face. And I knew that was the Lord. And Raphael said, well, sounds like Jesus to me, bunny, you so into your next season. And so I took off two months from work and raised uh, about $40,000 for my previous opponent and our entire campaign team and my former member of Congress. And we all got in a room and blessed him, whether he deserved it or not in that moment. Now he's gone on to really great things. We have to, you know, pursue loving Jesus and pursue letting all the ugly stuff in our life, you know, get out of our hearts so that we can continue to love people and move forward. And that's part of my story. Yeah. Three major points that really resonated with me. One, in the natural losing a race that became very competitive. And you actually were right down to the wire as someone that they unexpectedly was going to be is on the runoff and the only woman in Texas. Even through loss, God used that to really be a platform for where he was taking you. And secondly, you talked about letting go of bitterness and unforgiveness and wounds because that prepared you for what you do today. Thirdly, you mentioned that you wrote a book. You've written quite a few books. It's amazing how many of them that I've looked at and, and read and perused it's all really pointing back to a fundamental relationship with the Lord. And so tell us first, develop a little bit more about how a loss turned into a victory. How do we overcome taking the high road? How do we overcome our wounds and bitterness? And what you did came with an opposite spirit and to be able to pay off their debt. And then thirdly, what moved you to write the books you've written? And what are some of those books? My story really is about walk, trying to walk with intimacy with Jesus and, and asking God to just flood people with his presence <laughs> everywhere I go. I say this in churches all the time, but when I, you know, I believe that when I walk in the room, everything changes. Why? Because the Holy Spirit walks in with me. And that should be the attitude that we have as believers everywhere, that we're salt and light and we're actually a, a city set on a hill. Um, But yeah, the failure of the congressional race, I didn't get into a race to lose. I really thought from the very beginning I was going to win. I knew everybody in the district. I knew all the donors. 
I'd run the member of Congress, uh, you know, campaign for 10 years. So I knew all the players, but, you know, I ended up coming up slightly short, a couple percentage points, about 2,700 votes out of 43,000. It was very close. I was the only person in the country endorsed by Vice President Mike Pence in the primary season in 2018. So that was another thing that was just beating me on the head with that loss was I just let the vice president of the United States down. Not only was feeling the burden of letting the people down in the district, feeling like I let all my supporters down, but I let the vice president down. But God took me back to why did I do this? Why did I pull you out from behind the curtain, so to speak? And from being the consultant to being the candidate. And he really started saying, it's because you have a lot in you. I wanna make you the voice. I want to give you a message for this moment. He really confirmed to me that I was supposed to go awaken the church and find the awakening church and plug them into habits of prayer, voting, and engagement. So as I cried out to God, God, where is the next movement? A lot of us in the late 80s and early 90s, you know, the Christian coalition that really made an impact, the, the next generation looks completely different. So what does that look like? And how, and that really propelled me to start Christians Engage and have me walk by faith and not go back to my company <laughs> and just go out on the water, if that makes sense, Doug. Can I say how important spending time with the Lord is? Um, and we get all religious and say, you know, do you have your quiet time and all that stuff? But as leaders, we have to have quiet times. <laughs> We have to hear from the Lord and we have to turn the noise off. And for me, walking in politics for 15 years, it is like one of the most mudslinging, horrible. I mean, you think ministry is bad? Try politics. It is awful. The people in your ear, the rejection, the jealousy, the pride, the anger, all of it. Um, and so learning to walk with the Lord in that place has been really critical in my leadership development. And now I train other people how to walk in the political movements and still love Jesus in the process. So writing some of your books has actually been helpful as your own personal journey of devotion, as you're also living these things out in kind of a prophetic drama, because you're living these things out. You have to live by these scriptures as you begin to write and share them with other people. What are some of the books that you've written? Yeah, I mean, teaching, we learn more by teaching than actually the people receiving the teaching, right? So my books have been therapy to me. We write little mini books because people are busy and because millennials don't read long books. So I have one on John 17, the heart of God. Um, and that's my story of praying John 17, the high priestly prayer over my life as I ran for Congress, being completely dependent on him to help me raise money that I didn't know where it was coming from. And then Enduring to the End is my second book. Um, and those you can find all those at ChristiansEngage.org. And then I wrote a third book on my favorite Psalms. Um, we've been going through the book of Psalms for the last year and a half. So I've written over 63 articles on Psalms so far. And then we just launched a new series on the book of Nehemiah. So I'm writing a new book on the leadership of Nehemiah as it relates to rebuilding the walls of our nation. But and then I have a couple of discipleship books I wrote when I was pastoring with my husband. So I love writing. I love it. And you're a great writer. I've had to write a lot of books. I don't consider myself a prolific writer, but it's really telling the story and some people seem to benefit from it. But I realize that even for you, you know, I've had the pleasure of being on some of your uh, Zoom calls where you actually go through the book of Psalms and on the various Psalms. And so it really is very fruitful because it's not just about doing what you do, but it really is about the passion of why you do what you do is because first and foremost, you're a believer in Christ, regardless of what divides us, you're looking for what brings us back to the centrality of the cross. We've just come out of Palm Sunday and Resurrection Sunday and the, the Passion Week and so on recently. You know, when I think of Jesus in Luke 9, 51, it says when it was time to be taken up, he steadfastly was determined to set his face to get to Jerusalem. In other words, he already knew it was time to be mocked, scorned, rejected, you know, brutalized, crucified. And yet he had a joy set before him, it says in Hebrews 12. I tend to speak about this, that part of that joy was knowing he would see us on the other side of what he would suffer for us. So that he loved us so much that he gave himself for us. But in that process, there have to be intentional decisions to steadfastly move towards a direction, knowing that some may not agree 
But ultimately, we believe that it's to their benefit, ultimately, when we make those kinds of sacrifices. What drove you or drives you to continue to go through the obstacles you've been through and even through the disappointments and maybe the heartache or the brokenheartedness? Because obviously, as you alluded to earlier, people that were close that you didn't expect, you expect them to be part of your whole story, but they just became a blurb or a chapter or, or a paragraph. How do you keep your focus on your destination? in the midst of some of these struggles and pains? I have a couple of scriptures that mean a lot to me. First Corinthians 5, 20, where he calls us ambassadors for Christ, as though Christ were pleading through us, um, that we are crying out and saying, be reconciled to, to God. That is one of my life scriptures. And, and really who I am to my core is, regardless of whether I'm leading an on-ramp to civic engagement seminar for Christians or I'm on the streets with my friends at Time to Revive, or, you know, I'm speaking on a, you know, video to Africa, <laughs> which I got an opportunity to do a couple of weeks ago, that really God's trying to call everybody into a relationship with him. And then to turn us around and make us ambassadors, right? And make us carriers of his glory. So that Keeping that as my main focus and knowing whoever I'm talking to, whether it's a member of Congress or a state senator or a former governor or a person at the laundromat in Garland that I'm sharing the gospel with, with is the same. They're all the same with the same needs, and they all need Jesus, and they all need the gospel. Stop on that point for a second, because I was just thinking the same thing. When people hear, I mean, you're with all these different people that God has allowed you a platform with. Uh, but I've watched you on the streets. I've watched you talking to individuals. You're no respecter of persons because the Lord is no respecter of persons. Although God has given you a stewardship in a certain arena, that doesn't change the fact that you want to be reflective of Christ with everyone you come across. I look at, try to look at people as treasure chests. You know, Jesus said he was willing to go sell everything and buy the field, right, for the pearl of great price. I, I believe the pearl of great price is people. And so as we're looking at people and asking God to give us the eyes to see them, you know, trying to see, okay, what does God want to pull out their, of their life? Why does he want to call him, them to himself? You know, how can I be a steward in that journey? And so that's really my heart is just to be that connector between them and God and lead them into a place with the word of God and worship and prayer where they can experience God on their own every day. And then I love to think about one of my favorite chapters in the Bible is Matthew 28, the women at the tomb, that the women were the first evangelists to go back and tell the disciples that Jesus was alive, right? And how he empowered them to be who they were. And as a nine-year-old little girl sitting on a front pew of my dad's church, my dad would tell you that I was a call to be a teacher back then, right? But I didn't feel that empowerment until I got into politics. And in the secular world, people empowered me to be a leader. And now God is allowing me to lead more in the body of Christ. But I, I think we have to understand that God has called us all, regardless of whether we serve in a church, to be fivefold ministry gifts, if that's who we are. If we're evangelists, apostles, prophets, pastors, and teachers, operating that wherever where we are and being those reconcilers. Although you did run in a Republican primary, that you're not beholden to a party first, but principles of the kingdom. And then you alluded to the fact that what really drove you was the issue of life. And I know there's so much controversy out there, but it, for me, it's so simple. Scripture says, I place before you today life and death. Choose life. God already gives us the answer. And if we can't value life in the womb, and, you know, initially people would say, well, it's in cases of, or, you know, first trimester, then it was second trimester. Now it's, it, we're arguing, can they be born and still left to die based on the, the advice of the medical professional or the mother? And when you look at these things, it was never about the abortion itself. It was about ultimately a diabolical spiritual dynamic of offering our children on the altar of, of Moloch and, and the altar of Asheroth and the altar of evil, shedding the innocent blood that Isaiah 1 says very clearly, God doesn't answer our prayers, the raising of our hands or our get-togethers, because we've allowed a shedding of innocent blood. 
Now, I know that includes more than abortion, but I'm just thinking in terms of regardless of your political persuasions, that any society that feels the necessity to disregard their children in any capacity, we, we have a problem in that society. And so for me, that's a principle, a biblical principle, even though I have friends that are Christians that, that argue that, because sometimes we believe the Pied Piper and believe the media and believe the, the culture in which we in, we're in, but we are to be a part of the culture of the kingdom to impact the culture in which we live and not the other way around. That principle of the kingdom is part of your passion. So what are some of the principles that you adhere to that drive you to want to engage and have Christians engaged in that arena? I think the Bible has a lot to say about the issues of our culture, but we aren't really pursuing that and we don't want to talk about it. So Christians Engage is really resourcing the church right now. And we're in the next two years building out a whole library of curriculum to talk about things that people don't want to talk about, sanctity of life, the importance of that issue uh, for our culture. Um, We're about to start a class on biblical justice. Uh, We just did a class on racism. Now that is a tough topic to cover in a multiracial group, but, and it's one of the things that churches are not talking about because they're so, it's so messy but we have to talk about these issues. So many of our even political leaders, or even in the church world, had uh, disengaged areas of, of discomfort rather than being intentional. It, we have to be intentional about racial reconciliation. We have to be intentional about the things that we're uncomfortable with. Get out yes. of our myoptic portion of what makes us comfortable. We have to get out of that comfort zone, not losing that place of being tethered with the Lord, but taking that with us and engaging in difficult conversations. And the greatest leaders are those that are willing to get in the mess, right? You know, if you're a good disciple maker, you know, it's messy. You know, you lead a young born baby to Jesus, man, it's messy. I come from the house church movement where you have people in in your house. I had people in my house for 10 years and I had people throwing up on my floor and I had um, people, you know, speaking out out of turn. And if you open up the door for conversations, it's going to be messy, but it is so rewarding. This is the only way that we allow people to grow is teaching them the word, asking them to look up the scriptures, dig in the word and discover what they truly believe. And this is why the body of Christ is so anemic and so weak right now is because we're not training um, our young disciples and our families to do that. We're trying to resource the church in that way, not only engage people with practical civic engagement education so that they know how to pray, vote, and engage, and do it with uh, real knowledge of how to impact their elected officials, how to move the needle on legislation, how to get involved with their city council, but also to train people on these biblical topics. Um, And the Bible has a lot to say about debt. The Bible has a lot to say about taxation. The Bible has a lot to say about our borders, about the Israel issue. I mean, there are so many issues. And if we think about our pulpits, how often we even address the topics that are in the news, it'll amaze you how often we do not address the topics that are in the news. And uh, my friend David Barton likes to say back in the olden days of America, the preachers used to preach on the solar eclipse or whatever was in the news, right? Because that was what people cared about. And that's what they were thinking about. And so they responded with those topics with the gospel. And now we just kind of talk about our destinies and our purpose in life and all that's good and God's love, but we're not really connecting it to what's happening right now. And so then church becomes irrelevant. Sorry to go off on a tangent, but church becomes irrelevant because we're not actually addressing the heartfelt needs of people to answer these huge worldview questions. Well, I love that scripture you alluded to in in Proverbs 14, 4, and it's always been a great reminder to me over the years as well, where no oxen are, the trough is clean, but much increase comes by the strength of an ox. In other words, the trough may remain clean without oxen feeding in it or drinking from there, but then there would be no work done and or nothing accomplished. Nothing would be get would get done. And I wrote down, we may like things perfectly in order, tidy, clean and without a mess. But if we are to get things done and accomplish it means taking some risks and possible times of being uncomfortable. The water and feeding trough may get a little muddled, 
but better than being idle with nothing getting done. The good news is the Lord uses imperfect and messy folks like us by his abounding and great grace to take steps of faith to accomplish things beyond our own ability or capacities. I've always thought of that scripture for these last 40 years in ministry, like, you know, I don't want to do that. Well, if you don't do it, nothing gets done. Now, people might criticize you. It may not look the way you thought it should be done, but take a step of faith and do something lest you do nothing. And in the midst of it, things get a little muddied, but you've got to take a step of courage and faith if anything is going to get done. Yes, we do. And and we have to like step out, even if you feel like you are not qualified or you're, you don't have all the things put together to step out there and go, you know what, I'm going to just take ownership of this. And, and one thing that's really helped my life is if, you know, I kind of think about these Chinese Christians that when people drop off pages of the Bible, right? They're writing the Bible. Um, they're passing it from person to person, right? So trying to be the person that receives the word and it falls on good soil and then I turn around and use it, right? I turn around and apply it in my own life and then apply it in people that I'm teaching or discipling so that it doesn't just sit on the shelf and doesn't have any power, but we're actually taking ownership and using that for what God's called us to do. And, and so that's a really key thing for my, my life. And then also finding leaders that are intimate with Jesus, that are walking out daily devotion to him, you know, hanging out with my friend, Corey Russell at the upper room, prayer room, you know, just running with people that are bold and are not afraid to back down and are doing it consistently over year after year after year causes me to want to run faster and pursue Jesus greater, right? And so identifying those people in our life and then wanting and being those leaders ourselves, asking God to turn us into those leaders. You know, I was thinking about um, a friend who you would have known as well, the late Bishop Harry Jackson. Bishop Jackson was a stalwart uh, pace setter a courageous leader, uh, not just in the church world, but really took steps that he, it was very painful for him, but he was determined without ever giving up his biblical principles and the things he believed and stood for, felt it was important to address the areas of the reconciled church. And I came across a word he gave me a few years ago that it was on audio. I happened to come across it and I just started weeping because I remembered what he said to me, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is this is so powerful. But at the moment, it was, oh, thank you, Bishop. But now I'm looking back after he's gone and re- feeling that absence of his presence, his influence in my life, thinking he really said some very profound things that I need to go back and really break down and listen to. But I watched his life, and he never gave up his personal biblical convictions. And yet he was beat up on, on all sides. And if you look at the political world, he was beat up on every kind of side you can think of. But yet he stayed true to his biblical convictions. And I like people like that. I, I respect people who I may not always agree with. Now, I agreed mostly with Bishop uh, Harry Jackson. I'm just saying I have more respect for people who truly believe what they're saying and walk out that conviction and are willing to have conversation about it, not just shut out anybody else's opinion. But today we have such a cancel culture that anything that is contrary to some of those in our media and others would not want us to engage in any capacity of what we believe because it doesn't fit their narrative. But I really believe that those who tell the story define the narrative and create the history. So we must continue to speak biblical narratives, speak the story, tell our stories so that we have an opportunity to see the soul of our communities and our nation changed. Well, and that gives me a perfect example of our wake up conference. We started a a national conference last year and everybody was laughing at me going, what are you doing? You're combining political Christ followers, political leaders that love Jesus with ministry leaders across denominational lines. This doesn't make any sense. Why, how do you have Corey Russell from Upper Room and you have June Hunt from the Hope Center and you have James Robison who's in his seventies and then you have Ali Beth Stuckey who's a young 30 year old millennial and Rick Perry. I mean, none of this makes any sense. But it made sense because God is trying to do something in the body of Christ right now. 
which is break down all these walls. And so here we are creating a conference and we're having this again. Doug's going to be one of our headliners, um, September 23rd and 24th in Dallas, Fort Worth. But, you know, I've got people from the prayer movement and then I've got Pastor Robert Jeffers from First Baptist and Dr. Jim Dennison. And then we've got Eric Metaxas and Doug and, you know, Rafael Cruz and Congressman Chip Roy and these people. It does not look like it goes together. But what God's doing in this hour is he's unifying us in the spirit of John 17 and saying, get uncomfortable. It's time to get uncomfortable. You know, I think our last conference, we had 70% of them were probably denominational folks that were, they're like, we're doing what? Praise and worship, you know, and trying to look around and going, I don't know what to do, or I don't know how to do this. And then, you know, the charismatic and Pentecostals are like, well, that 20 minutes or 15 minutes was not enough, you know? <laughs> so we were, we were getting complaints from every side, right? But I'm like, guys, we have to come together. We have to lay down our preferences for the sake of the church, number one, for the sake, and then for the sake of our nation. Um, we are in the minority. We're in a postmodern uh, world right now where we all better hang together and we all better find our allies. And that makes for some uncomfortableness, but it really pushes us to be better, better that people. Gets, well, that gets back to the intentionality again. I remember many times throughout the years, trying to get the body reconciled and working to people with people with a common goal and vision and recognize we have far more in common than we have that divides us if we're willing to come to the table to discuss them and walk through these things and, and filtering it through scripture. I remember some of my non-charismatic Pentecostal friends would think I was too charismatic. To my charismatic Pentecostal friends, I wasn't charismatic Pentecostal enough. So I'm thinking, exactly. you can't win, but the reality is you have to start with something. We could sit back and just say what should be done, or we can bring the oxen to the trough, and we can start getting the work done, even though it gets a little muddled at times in the process. Well, in Psalms 23 says, he builds a table for us in the presence of our enemies, right? And I, I like to go back to, what is the marriage supper of the Lamb going to look like? It's going to look like every tribe, tongue, and nation gathered around all of us, the blood-brought church together, regardless of denominations or regardless of musical preferences or leadership preferences or whatever it is, we're all going to be at that marriage supper of the Lamb. So why don't we just all come to the table now in the middle of our enemies and start learning to, to accept the fact that Jesus's blood is the only thing that saves us. And that's really the only unifying thing is the, the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ and learning from each other. Because what I've discovered, I know, Doug, you've discovered this too. When we connect with people that are not exactly like us, it makes us so much better leaders and people. And my board, if you look at my board of directors at ChristiansEngage.org, um, you know, a whole bunch of Bible church, Baptist folks, a whole bunch. We have a Catholic. Uh, we have, you know, a very diverse race, uh, ethnicity, generations, churches. It's just it's just awesome. And it works. And people respect each other. And we're all in this together. It takes courage and persevering leadership to take what God's given you and to keep your eyes focused on the destination rather than the obstacles. People see all the successes. I know you already have over 100 churches that, that since you launched in 2020, you had to overcome some obstacles to get where you are today. And I want us to touch on that too, what happened with the IRS and how God redeemed that. All of us as leaders, we don't set out to fail. We don't set out to go through disappointments and discouragements, but things happen in life. Can you name a, a one or two things that where the wind was knocked out of you, where there was an unexpected detour that you did not expect in leadership. And yet, and we talked a little bit about that in your when you ran for Congress, but uh, is there something specific in your life that you would encourage other leaders that, look, sometimes the giants are big, sometimes the obstacles in the way, but you can overcome them? I started a new nonprofit, let's see, three months before COVID. What was I thinking? We were like, totally going on faith. I was working for a member of Congress, Congressman Michael Cloud, running his campaign. Um, and Congressman Cloud allowed me to start this ministry, um, knowing that it was going to take a couple of years to get off, off the you know ground. But I had an executive director. I knew I couldn't do two jobs. So I'll, I'll never forget 
when Ian started January, 2020, and he took like a $10,000 pay cut to come work for, for this new Christian ministry from our fundraising firm. And I said, we're going to just pray every day for your salary. I don't know where it's coming from. And we prayed that Monday morning and at 12 o'clock that day, one of my political donors who told me up front a few weeks before that she did not get what we were doing and she probably wouldn't be supporting us, uh, went online and gave $1,000 that day. And I'm like, God, you are good. That just gave me so much uh, grace for the next months. And, and then all of a sudden, we're supposed to be networking with churches and helping pastors uh, talk about prayer voting and engagement and doing these nonpartisan kingdom services. And all of a sudden, churches are shutting down. And I'm like, oh, no, what are we doing? What are we doing? And I had a friend who I did street evangelism with. I mean, you can't make this stuff up call me and say, Hey, I know it's like first of April, 2020, nothing's happening. You just started this ministry and I got a inheritance and we feel like we're supposed to tithe off this inheritance. And uh, she said, it's not much. It's only $23,000. And I was like, uh, okay. That just like, let me sleep at night, not worrying about Ian's thousand dollar salary every week. Right. I mean, just God, you're so good. And we developed our whole on-ramp to civic engagement seminar through COVID because we didn't have churches to book and we didn't start really actively, you know, co-branding our pledge with churches or doing all that until, you know, July or August. So out of hard times, right, comes new ideas. And that's our signature product that we're re-recording in a couple of weeks. That's going to be co-branded with Intercessors for America and the stream and other places to um, really push people to uh, engage. And it's going to be our signature product that really launches us nationwide. So you never know, Doug, what's going to happen. I mean, I, I'm just kind of at this attitude, like, God, what's next? You know, the, the door that I think I'm going to push open sometimes is not the one that's supposed to be open. And then this other door opens and you're like, oh, wow. Okay, here it is. So just taking one day at a time and being sensitive to the Lord the, to go, you know, God, I might have this completely wrong. I might have this whole model completely wrong. I mean, two and a half years later, we're doing things that I never saw coming, but I, I now know that God's giving us a blueprint to expand from Texas to the nation. You know, you've done so many things and you're so full of energy watching you realize that what drives you really is this authentic passion for the Lord and the willingness to care for people that even may not agree with you. And so thank you for taking the time with us today. As Micah 4 is a beautiful picture of us putting aside our weapons of warfare against each other and exchanging them for harvesting tools together. And out of that, the outcast, the lame, and the sick would become a strong nation or a strong church. And on, but in Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it says that we should act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly. And, uh, and what a great example, uh, Bunny, for all of us, isn't it, that regardless of what we believe, we need to make sure that our love in 1 Corinthians 13, our love is not clanging symbols, but our love really is demonstrated even in our disagreements. I found that some of the people I've been able to influence the most, engage the most over the years is when I was able to engage the heart and it changed the mindset. I've had so many people who did not understand Christians, did not understand us, but as they begin to process their mind and their heart were in conflict because they were moved by their heart of who we really are. And it began to change the mindset towards us. And so you've been able to do that in a very difficult arena. But how can we get in, involved, get your books, get your resources, and, uh, and get some of your discipleship materials? Step one to joining our family is to take our pledge to pray, vote, and engage on our website. So we send a prayer text every Monday with a prayer for America, with a scripture. And then we send you voting reminders for every election, because if the church would actually give take Jesus to the ballot box, even in our city elections and our primaries, we can really make a difference. And then um, second step is um, as soon as we release this new on-ramp to civic engagement seminar, the, the old one's on the website, but wait for the next one. Um, it's going to be awesome releasing June 1st. 
um, is to go through that seminar and then all of our other classes and events. We've got just a ton of stuff going on. We'd love to see you guys in September at our wake up conference. It's going to be mind blowingly awesome this year. And we've got a great speaker, Doug Stringer, talking about mending the net. So that's going to be good. Um, but yeah, I, my last thing, my last thought is um, one of my prayers is to, to be like Jesus in that he was moved by compassion. And whatever we do, going back to that Micah scripture, asking God um, that we we're, we're not only praying for labors and the harvest, right? He didn't pray, say, to be the harvest, you know, go out for the harvest, pray for laborers, but also to pray that we become those tools of compassion so that wherever we are, we're intentionally seeing people by the Holy Spirit, um, whether that's in Walmart or, you know, in a church or in our business or with an elected official or whatever, um, and asking God to give us the, his heart for them. And that really, um, those prayers really change the way I operate and, and I know they'll help you guys as well. So, Bunny, um, before we close, I wanted to come back on a couple of things because over and over, if, if, if those who are listening and be watching the YouTube or listening on our podcast, listen to the, the thread throughout this interview with Bunny that it doesn't matter what platform that is given to her. She just wants to let God's light shine through her. That she does street ministry. I mean, here's a person who's dealing with a political consultant that also has Christians engaged, also uh, hobnobs with all these different people. But she's, she does street ministry. She loves to be at the, the laundromat. She loves to be at Walmart and sharing Christ. That tells me a lot about the characteristics of an individual. And, and Bunny, I alluded to earlier, and I want you to answer this question or address this, uh, and that there was a time you were actually denied your 501c3 status as a Christian, because you're nonpartisan. Yeah. Uh, now, people individually, you, you, you are biblically conservative, but you're not beholden to a party. Christians Engage is biblically principled, not politically, uh, is not a partisan politically. But I, I want you to, to address what happened and why they denied your 501c3 status. Of course, you ended up getting it, but tell us what happened. Yes. Yeah, so my mandate from the Lord was to go find the awakening church. And it came out of Romans 13, 11. Now it is high time for us to awake out of sleep. Right. And to plug people into prayer, voting and engagement. So 18 months into this journey, we had applied for our tax exempt status at the beginning. We had a very, quote, kind of hostile agent, IRS agent that was going through every single slide for our on-ramp to civic engagement seminar. He was going through hundreds of articles looking for anything he could to disqualify us. Found nothing. He sends me a letter um, last summer, last May, saying, we're denying Christians engage your tax-exempt status because, quote-unquote, this is in the letter from the IRS, Bible teachings are typically affiliated with the Republican Party and candidates. Okay, just let that sink into you for a second, all you Bible teachers out there. Um, I really thought the Bible was a kingdom document that was established thousands of years ago, right, from 66 different books. So all of a sudden, um, we went to our friends at First Liberty Institute, and the IRS went on to say, because you're teaching on the sanctity of life, biblical justice, debt and taxation, you're partisan, Okay, and they went through a whole list of things, the Israel issue, different things. So if this case had stood, this would have affected every ministry and church in America because no longer could we teach on biblical themes because they're now in a party platform. Absolutely ridiculous. By the way, we cover things that are not in a certain political party. We talk about taking care of our immigrant friends and our foreigners and, you know, the biblical precedents for everything, right? And so all of a sudden, First Liberty took our case. We filed um, a internal IRS letter. It's about 12 pages. All of a sudden, we put out a press release where the top, top story on Charisma Magazine, Franklin Graham, three times on Fox News, Epic Times, Breitbart, all of it. I mean, like everywhere. We were everywhere. And they folded in 21 days. All of a sudden, people started praying. They started waking up around the country. Thousands of people started taking our pledge to pray, vote, and engage around the country. And, and then people started sending letters to the IRS and to their members of Congress. And um, 13 very brave members of Congress 
uh, wrote a letter to the IRS commissioner saying this cannot stand. You have to do something. And 21 days later, um, they sent us our tax exempt status. <laughs> and the supervisor of my agent called and apologized personally on the phone, which I thought this is made up like this guy is not real. But he was he was the, the real supervisor. So it was just such a testimony to me that if we stand up as believers, our republic actually works and that people pray, voting and engagement actually can change something. And I wish the news media had reported the victory story like they reported the bad news. They didn't have us back on for the victory story, though we tried to pursue that. But it's a, a lesson for all of us, again, that you know, if we do something, victory happens. Well, keep telling the story of your personal life and the calling of God. Uh, define the narrative. And so we can see history made. So God bless you, Bunny. And Bunny, would you just close us in prayer? And we'll continue to be praying for you as well. Absolutely. It's an honor to be with you guys today. Lord, we just thank you for today. God, thank you, Lord, for these leaders that are called by your name. Lord, that we would humble ourselves and pray and we would seek your face, God. Above everything else, Lord, we want to be those people that run to your presence, that run to the place of prayer, that run to the word, that are um, people that love to meditate on your word and get life from your word. And God, that you would take those, um, take our weak lives, take the the power of your word in us, God, and, and make us ambassadors for you. Make us reconcilers. Help us to look for the treasures and people around us, God, in the halls of Congress or in our cities, on our city streets or in our churches. And God, I just thank you for bringing the body of Christ together like never before. God, let us see each other after the spirit, not after the flesh. God, let us desire sanctification and desire to be transformed into the image of Christ. And God, send us out there as bold champions of your gospel, Lord, in this moment. Nothing's more important than your story and your fame name in this moment in this nation, God. So make us those leaders that pursue you and can be the ones that lead people into relationship with you every day in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you enjoyed this episode of A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends and ask you to prayerfully consider supporting the ministry at somebodycares.org or by texting your donation amount to 805-422-7348. Please join us again for A Word in Season with Doug Stringer and Friends.